When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to the Boyce of Reason podcast. Today's guest is Eric, and he can be found on Instagram and on Twitter at Eric's Electrons. In this episode, we talk about his life as somebody who has denied the narrative offered him as a black man in America, being one founded principally on oppression, and we talk about his way of viewing the world that is an alternative to the victim-oppressor dynamic, and we also talk about the fallout of not believing in the victim-oppressor narrative as a black man in America. He is an undergraduate studying physics, and that might give you some clue as to what he bases his opinions upon. It's a great conversation with a regular dude. And so I'm going to step out of the way here and introduce you to Eric. All right, perfect. You ready to dive in? I am, yeah, I'm ready. Um, what's your you you classify yourself as a a student? Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm an undergrad student in uh, physics. I'm on my uh, third year now, coming up this semester. So yeah, yeah. What, would you uh, be amenable to kind of uh, positioning yourself on some sort of political compass? It, do you, are you? Is that uh, no, I mean, I, I consider myself as independent and politically homeless. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it ranges with issues. Sometimes I lean right, sometimes I lean left. Like, it all depends. But Kind of a wandering yeah. kind of guy. Exactly. Too. Yeah. And uh, how long have you been kind of active on Twitter specifically or, or within the conversation, political conversation? Mm, so I used to be active during the beginning of when twitter was like uh popular with like news i would say so like no not not the beginning okay i I was i started being active when osama bin laden died oh uh yeah i remember seeing like the tweet that said oh there's an explosion going on and then after that soon the news reported that and and put that in a tweet i mean put that in their uh you know reports and stuff and then i started becoming more active on there but uh this account specifically it wasn't i think maybe like four years ago three years ago probably like three years ago i I started this account so yeah that was another account that i now deleted i think so what about you have you been on oh how about you like with twitter like have you been on for a while or no Exactly about three years now. I, I started oh. Twitter when I started reporting on what happened at my college, Evergreen State College. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Wow. Yeah, that that was crazy. And I love your series on that, by the way. Like, I, I just, I'm just always like waiting on the next next one to come out. I haven't seen the newest one that you've put out. I don't think, but um, yeah, I, I keep up with those pretty well. Is 
does anything ring a bell with your undergraduate experience and what is kind of shown at Evergreen, or is it a completely different environment that you're in? The undertones of it definitely show. So what I mean by that is what shows is like the um, the language that's being used, you know, like the language that's being used and um, with professors, be it with the syllabus or, or when you see little banners up or whenever conservatives try to talk, you see the counter stuff like, oh, a white supremacist is coming to our campus, like that type of rhetoric. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you see the, the language being used. It's not as extreme, at least yet, but uh, I, I do see that fostering on our campus because our campus is uh, very left-leaning. Okay. And within your domain of STEM and, and physics, is it kind of leaching in there or leaking in and leaching away from? Oh, yeah, your- yeah, it's definitely leaking in. I mean, um, I'm a part of a couple of physics organizations as a member, and there are a couple of people who are in the higher ups uh, who are heavily influenced by critical race theory and intersectionality politics, and they're into the, you know, canceling culture and and doing all that type of stuff and then of course you have those who are in physics uh (laughs) in physics conferences saying that we should talk about racial issues and and how that needs to be like mandatory and all this other stuff so it's it's leaking in and then plus there was a physicist that was fired at cern um for saying some things um i think this was like a year ago maybe yeah so yeah it's definitely leaked into the stem fields What's your take on it? Or, and has your ch- position changed over time, seeing how it works out? Yeah, at first I thought it was just like a fringe group that could possibly be something bad. And, and I didn't understand. I was too naive to like how bad it actually was. And so my, I think I changed when it came to it becoming policy to do certain things or seeing that affirmative action efforts and initiatives called diversity um, groups and stuff, um, those being promoted in our system. And, and, and instead of it being about science, it's, it's all about, uh, you know, what your race is. And, you know, instead of the panels being about the, the top, top experts in the field, it's about uh, what, color or gender the person is like it's, it's become heavily influenced by identity politics so i've gotten more aggressive with my um kickback with with a lot of this uh identity politics stuff have you gotten kickback for your kickback oh yeah definitely yeah definitely yeah i would say that the most is from like you know be a phd students or actual phds i was actually featured in a class as a tweet to look out for or type of people to look out for from a professor um not at my school at some school uh, but she tweeted me and said that oh i'm using your tweet in, in my class to, to show as an example of people to look out for when it comes to reaching social justice and all this other stuff so um yeah i have a lot of kickback from the stem community and it's the stem community is actually worse than what people reported to be it's really? a lot worse mm-hmm. what what did that professor mean by looking out for people like you what what is a person like you or what was she referring to i think she was referring to my talking points because as you know identity politics when it comes to talking points they have counter talking points that aren't really arguments so they'll say something like 
let's say, for instance, with this whole Terry Crews situation. Um, or no, no, no. Let's say, for instance, with a police shooting situation, you'll say something like, um, or they'll say police shootings happen disproportionately more to black people. But then you mention the fact that black people have more interactions with police because black people commit more crimes on average um, or at a higher rate. And then they, they will use that part and say, this is a talking point that you should watch out for because they are promoting white supremacy. And then that's the way to stop the argument and to call you a troll and to deem you as uh, a person not to talk to. Yeah, uh, I think there, one technical term for that is a thought terminating cliche. They they call you, they box you into alt-right or uh, white supremacist or uh, all these different guilt by association tactics. And calling you calling your points a talking point is itself a talking point to just shut down <laughs> exactly. any any sort of uh, debate and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really it's it reminds me of the terms that are made up, you know, like um, I heard of this term sea lining. I think it's called I can't really say that word right. Sea lining is basically when you um, uh, ask for a discussion or, or a debate instead of, you know, talking divisively at someone like they think that you're begging for a debate or you're you're trying to bully them into debating with you when really you you know you could actually be trying to have a discussion a meaningful discussion and they'll call you a sea lion or something of that degree and that stops the debate completely because it rids them of the accountability of providing evidence for their arguments have you been a has it been the case for you that you were um, attracted to what we call identity politics at some point, and or were you, have you always been kind of resistant to that? And what is behind that attraction or resistance? Oh, that, that's a really good question. So, uh, yes, I have been heavily influenced by um, identity politics growing up, and I think it's more so because I grew up in California. I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in Oakland, California, moved to Pittsburgh, and um, you know, everyone around me was pretty much Democrat, liberal. I only had one type of view, although I never, really, I never was fully influenced by like the divisive culture of that. I still was into that in, in middle school. I described myself as a pacifist and uh, I even described myself as a socialist at one point. It wasn't until about sophomore year of high school um, where I really dug deep and started reading material from these uh, problematic people that they started calling them and then um, analyzing the arguments for myself and I mean, it wasn't until all the way up until I would say when Black Lives Matter first started, I remember supporting them, but not necessarily being like, you know, full blown left leaning as I was like in middle and the beginning of high school. Um, and once the Trayvon Martin stuff started coming out, like the evidence that, that backed the story of um, George Zimmerman and then the others like Michael Brown, when, when the DNA evidence came out and the FBI investigation was over and I saw that Black Lives Matter was still promoting the lie of that they were just completely innocent and they were just killed for no reason, that's when I broke away completely from identity politics and didn't want anything else to do with it. It was it was after those two events, I would say, definitely. Mm -hmm. What yeah. What is the... Um 
I guess we can talk about what is the the cost of of backing out of that. But do do you feel that uh, your identity as a black man uh, makes you uh, makes it really important for you to uh, be at least talking about identity politics and and having an opinion on it? Can you escape that because your identity is kind of rather featured at least this point in history and with with regards to Black Lives Matter and then the civil rights uh, movement? I think due to where I come from, I have a compassion for, you know, those that are in hard situations, no matter, you know, what race they are. But, you know, especially when it comes to issues involving black people, that's something I can't escape because I'm a black person myself. And I've done a lot of digging myself and and a lot of... uh, self-research when it came to the arguments on both sides like I I really tried to get to the truth and and not like go one way or the other because I was very very left where I you know I would reference and quote Michelle Alexander's book The New Jim Crow which I've read many times and now disagree with Um, I've read and quoted all the other uh, books that are praised by the intelligentsia on the left when it comes to black racial issues. I've read the autobiographies of people like Booker T. Washington and W.B. Dubois or uh, what's another one, like Frederick Douglass and and people like that. You know, like I've I've done this like throughout my life because my mom and and my dad definitely encouraged me to be um, uh, very voracious reader like i started reading very young so i i've always read and when i came out of this and actually started having an opinion on this um i felt it was necessary for two main reasons i mean one because like i come from these areas and i think black on black crime is one of the biggest issues in the black community as well as the lack of education and um the prioritizing of of the welfare state i think is is a bad thing too so like that that's one and then two as kind of a deterrent for people to not to reconsider opinions because there are many people who wouldn't consider your opinion just because of your skin color you know like they would be like oh he's just privileged and that's the reason why he believes what he believes instead of listening to the arguments that you're making whereas with me they can't come with me with the privilege thing by their logic i can't be privileged i can't be racist but at the same time they call me a self-hating person it was mm. racist against black so that's a weird paradox there but um i i think it's important for me to speak out because a lot of there are a lot of people on even both sides i think that aren't going to consider the opinion of people who are not black and and i think for those two main reasons that's the reason why i i think it's necessary to be outspoken during these times who do you think uh is there somebody that you kind of look up to as like a model or a role model in kind of uh, carving out your place in the conversation i kind of share the same sentiment as a uh, no degrass tyson on this like i i look at a role model as like taking people as like a collage and I have like a collage of attributes and characteristics that I take from different people. 
so yeah there's just a whole bunch of people that i pull from that i get inspiration to keep on going or to realize that you know what i'm going through or or any cancel campaigns against me really isn't nothing compared to what these guys and gals went through in the past you know yeah well speaking of that we can talk about this uh terry cruz quote do you mind if i quote what he wrote today and this is no i don't mind at all I think this is a. I know he got uh, a little uh, in trouble or whatever. He he did something. He wrote something similar a couple weeks back. But today, he wrote, "If you are, are a child of God, you are my brother and sister. I have family of every race, creed, and ideology." And then this is the problematic quote unquote statement: "We must ensure Black Lives Matter doesn't morph into Black Lives Better." And uh, that right away just ended up in trending that he got in trouble for this. But what did you see? What's your response? And then what did you see the response to this as? My response is like, I agree with him. You know, he's seeing an issue that a lot of people see within the Black Lives Matter movement, which is it's uh, promoting um, like black lives and 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 almost like a black supremacist attitude with it um and we know you know from recent videos that black lives matter activists are heavily influenced by marxists and they call themselves marxists so that's another thing but i'm pretty sure that he's seeing that there's a lot of um divisiveness that we all see but for him to bring it up they they're grouping him with the all lives matter crowd and that's not what he's doing he's just simply pointing out the fact that hey like it's a warning basically like hey like let's not go here with it let's look at one another as as equals as we say we are so yeah but unfortunately you know many people have uh misquoted him or uh you know call him names instead of answering anything that he said what do you think is the resistance to this call for unity? Or, I guess, aside from the call to unity, a call to temperance with regards to the movement of Black Lives Matter? Why is there a resistance to tempering that? I think it's because identity politics groups tend to not want to have that discourse with their opponents at all like i think identity politics groups they want to make it so that to to call for unity you're taking away uh, awareness of the specific group that you're trying to help that that's what they look at as all like unity um quotes or measures so their whole thing is black 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 and and if you deviate from that in any way, shape, or form, then you are siding with the oppressor. And it's that oppressor versus oppressive mm. narrative that is very Marxist in nature, as, as I'm sure you know. So that's the issue there. It's There's no having a discourse with people like that if, you know, you can't even have a call for unity on something as basic as, you know, we're all, you know, brothers and sisters or, or we're all... Uh, you know of a similar nation or something like that you know i I think that camaraderie is very important but to people who are heavily influenced by identity politics is only important if you agree with them Hmm. 
have you been um do you feel oppressed is that is no. that a narrative that you no know? no yeah definitely not i don't i don't feel oppressed at all i never felt oppressed even even my left of left days <laughs> i never felt oppressed by anyone because i wasn't brought up taught like that you know i didn't i wasn't brought up taught that um uh, like i'm inescapably oppressed and there's no way out of it you know like I, I was taught that you're supposed to judge people by the content of their character and your shortcomings is on you and even if it's on someone else then cool but don't let that ruin your day keep it pushing keep it moving and eventually you'll get to your desired outcome hmm. was that backed yeah. up by uh I'm, I'm just curious was that backed up by going to church or what's the philosophical or theological pedigree of of your parents because this is a uh, a refrain that i've seen in people who have been offered the chance to be a victorious uh, victim but they, they're taught a completely other framework where that doesn't really match up so i'm just wondering mm -hmm. yeah so I think, well, my mom is a Christian woman. Uh, my dad, I would describe him as a deist. Like, he's not heavily, uh, like, religious. He does believe in God, though. So, but they never really pushed anything in particular onto me. The, I would say my inspiration usually came from books or came from authors and, and reading about philosophy and the Stoics, definitely. Hmm. So, um I, I've just always been told to take accountability. Oh, I would credit that my dad, since he was in the Marines, um, he had a very like take accountability like type of attitude about everything. Even if it's not your fault, still take accountability and move on. And and he would always say that like no matter what happened, like handle it how you handle it, and handle it yourself, and don't cry and complain about it. Just handle it and move on hmm. so yeah. I, I would credit that hmm. why do you think that that's not represented across our society right now it seems like everybody's vying for victimhood in a way yeah i think it's easier you know it's easier to be um mad at someone else it's easier to point fingers at everyone else but yourself it's easier to blame others for your own shortcomings it's harder to look in with inward and say like okay this is why i need to change this is what i need to do or there's some problems within my community that i could have uh some type of um accountability for so yeah i think people do whatever is most convenient to them hmm. and what yeah. about uh stem do you how, how do you see it going forward from where you are now or what kind of impact do you think you'll be able to have on that uh, the encroachment of identity politics into STEM. I'm hoping to bring a differing viewpoint. Um, and I'm not trying to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. I'm just trying to provide people with another viewpoint. Because people in STEM, what people don't understand is like they're studying hard and long on a very specific topic for a very long period of time. They don't have time to really analyze politics or read political theory or read about marxism the history of it or any of that stuff like they're in the book studying because this stuff does take a long time to really like get decent at so they have a very surface level understanding of what's going on 
and they think that oh like black lives matter is just saying that you know it's just being on the right side of history you know that's that's their view about things they're like oh you just be kind and that's it or just support this group and that's it that they don't think about like the group's affiliations the things that the group members or the founders have said they don't take the time to really investigate so the only other way that they're able to hear this stuff is from other people within the field but of course when it's told by other uh, white people in stem like they're written off as just having privilege and that's the reason why they believe what they believe because they don't surround themselves with other um uh, non-white people who are in STEM who actually think differently because there are many black people in STEM who are who lean conservative or many Asian people in STEM that lean, lean conservative on, on things but you never really hear from them because one, a lot of them are scared to come out and say anything and two um, when they do say stuff they're either blackballed or just kind of like ignored in, in the way Mm. within these stem circles and stem is very much like mean girls the movie like it's, it's very catty very very really? catty <laughs> i didn't yeah. i didn't know that <laughs> yeah it's extremely catty i have huh. stories for days about how catty it is so do you do you uh have you tried to take an inventory of your own privilege I've been told to do that, so I've had to do that. But I wonder if, <laughs> if, you, if you tried to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm still uh, looking at my. I'm still gathering all the evidence from our privilege, and I, I don't know if I will ever be done with that list. <laughs> <laughs> have you Have you been subjected to those trainings though? And what's What's your take on being in the, the that kind of room? I've sat in and on those, and of course, I've taken like a. Uh, I've taken a woman's studies class just to see what it was about. Um, but yeah, uh, my, my take on it, though, is it's a lot of assumptions and it's a lot of um, what I, I dislike most about the diversity efforts are the assumption that there's a collective trauma that's happening with black people. Like all black people suffer from collective trauma of slavery, Jim Crow, and any aggression or mistreatment of any black person to ever live. And that's just not true. Like I, I understand the horrors of slavery. I understand that it's bad. I understand Jim Crow. I understand all the little stuff that's happened since then that weren't in favor of black people. However, at the same time, um, I, I have no trauma from those events because I didn't go through them. And I think when people are raised to internalize the trauma of others, that's bad. But and in that that's I mean, I'm not going to say it's child abuse, but it's it's hmm. some type of psychological abuse in a way that there are tons of black children being taught that police are out to kill them in 2020. You know, and, and that they should internalize the struggles of, of people that never, I mean, that they never met or that things of that they never went through. So that's not talked about nearly as much as mm. the other stuff that's not talked about. But these diversity efforts, they keep on with the lie that black people are a collective instead of a group of individuals. 
Yeah, with a lot of different, uh, even if they are a collective, there's a lot of texture within various different, you know, affiliations and groups and individuals coming together. Yeah, there's, there's subgroups and, and there are, you know, subgroups of subgroups. I mean, it's just a never ending thing, you know, and, and the only remedy for that is to look at black people individually, you know, on a case by case basis instead of just this, uh, collective or unified mm-hmm. theory of oppression. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, noticed racism happening to you? Is it something that you're aware of? And it seems like this training wants you to be hyper aware of it, it wants everybody to be hyper aware of it. But before this training, was it a reality in your life? I mean, I've had instances where I could attribute to to racism so yeah i have been a part of uh racist incidents or or whatnot um i just don't think these the the training really helps in that regard i mean Hmm. it, it might help with some maybe to uh to see things like i don't know like i've heard of the the whole microaggression thing and i think that's a crazy idea because I'm, um, you know, someone asking where you're from, for instance, is looked at as a microaggression, and yeah. that's just small talk of how to start a conversation in, in most circles. But like, if you were to do it to someone who's heavily influenced by identity politics, and you were to ask where they're from, they'll assume that you're being racist, and I, I don't believe in that. Yeah. But like, I've heard of stories of people coming up to people and like grabbing their hair and be like, Oh, I never felt hair like this. And and I can understand how that could be an issue, but I don't agree with how people address that issue. Like if someone were to grab my hair, like I'm gonna be like, Hey, like, you know, I need my personal <laughs> space back up, you know, <laughs> like, please don't, uh, like, you know, you address it. Um, yeah. but what people are taught to do is internalize this as something that applies to all non-impressed groups and then to also go on twitter or some social media and make a campaign about it and cancel people and and i don't think that's a good Hmm. solution to that issue as well as the many other solutions that um diversity efforts have well in another way of asking the same question what is your advice on uh, somebody in your situation with someone close to your identity when they are uh, confronted with a racist incident or some sort of uh, racist behavior and how, how, how do you advise people get through that situation? Um, it really depends on like the type of situation it is, you know, like a, a racist situation at a job would be different from a racist situation that was like at a store or something, you know, because there's power dynamics at a job versus at a store with a random person. It really isn't. But I would mostly advise people because I see this as a issue to really look and make sure that it's not an actual racist issue. Because there are a lot of times where people would swear up and down that something was a racial issue and they'll tell me about it. And I'm like, I just don't see a racial element in that other than the fact that you're of a certain color and that other person is of a certain color, you know, and Mm -hmm. But to even question that, you know, they they say you're erasing their experiences or they'll use other language like you're attacking their experiences and uh, and and all this other like victimhood language. And and Mm. so so I, I would say to really analyze whether or not that case is an actual racial incident and then 
if it is, if you're like at a store, for instance, and someone says something racial to you because of whatever reason, like, okay, cool, walk away. Like, it's not a big deal. If it's Mm -hmm. something regarding your job, go through the proper channels of recording that incident. Because even if nothing is done, at least it will be on record and you can handle it then it's, it's sort of the same advice my dad gave me when it comes to uh police interactions and, and how like you know you could do something that could possibly save your life he said never fight police on the street fight them in court and the thing is with that is like, at least you will be alive to fight them in court hmm. versus resisting arrest fighting them in the street which would lead to you dying and then you can no longer fight and then your family is left without you. And there's more uh, negative trade-offs with fighting a, a police officer in the street versus the court in, mm-hmm. in most situations. So, yeah, um, it's just all about the situation and to, I would say, to think critically about whatever it is that you would deem racist. Yeah, give yourself at least one other option to interpret that interaction maybe yeah yeah or give people the benefit of the doubt like like the the problem is a lot of people have have racism first as the possible um conclusion and then they find evidence to support that you know it's the opposite of the scientific method where hmm. you know you make an observation you form a hypothesis and you know you go through the steps and then analyze your data and then come to a conclusion hmm. you know um so th- they work their way backwards and that's how most social justice um efforts work they, they start with that main conclusion of white supremacy racism and then they work backwards i think it would help people if they didn't start with a conclusion but they started with the observation and then mm-hmm. tried their best to give the benefit of the doubt and find all possible alternatives instead of just running to racism it really does show in aggregate just watching everybody or watching a, a certain mass of people really adopt this conclusion first just way of interacting with the world and it doesn't you can even ab- extract it from identity politics or progressivism or marxism it's just the fact that they are starting with a conclusion and then working back from that really does create collective madness in a way and that's why I, I'm really in this odd situation because I'm seeing the same thing that happened at Evergreen happening like worldwide. And it does have to do with this, you know, projecting of a problem or an answer or something onto the world and not allowing yourself any sort of wiggle room. Yeah. And has that happened to you? Like be it before the Evergreen situation or, or after where, you know, you said something and then someone automatically assumed uh, it was racism, and then, um, hmm. you know, like well, has that ever happened to? Yeah, but more more the line of of taking off uh, young feminists. You know, you, you make a joke, and then they automatically think that you're talking about sex, and you're not at mm-hmm. all. You know, or or you mm-hmm. you offer to help them with this object that's twice their size, and they get offended that you're catering to them or making them out to be weak and it's like no i'm just being helpful or i'm just being jocular you know that that was historically that's where i would butt up against uh, people who are projecting something onto the world um oh okay constantly so you have more pushback from the feminist side of identity politics than the racial side basically yeah yeah i mean the uh the racial stuff i mean i i guess 
in in a certain way, I could definitely be criticized uh, because I just kind of operated in my own bubble that didn't have a lot of. Uh, racial diversity until I moved to Chicago. And then I moved from Chicago back to the Pacific Northwest, which again was operating in not a lot of uh, racial diversity. But I have always sought out people based on their brains, you know, or based on their, uh, the way that they think. And uh, that was how I would strike up, you know, friendships and stuff like that. But I wasn't exposed to a lot of, uh, racial uh, difference. Uh, there was, uh, it was really interesting in Chicago because in Chicago, there's a lot of races. And at one point in history, not too long ago, it was the most diverse city in, in the world. Um, and since it's been uh, surpassed by another city in America, but in Chicago it was all very segregated. So there's all these different ethnicities, but they're all very segregated. And you could pass through, like there was this one street that had 40 different ethnicities on it. Uh, and, oh, wow. And so my, my life and my living there, I'd, I'd be exposed to a different culture, uh, you know, be it black or Asian or something like just by sharing a wall with that culture and, you know, but not not having direct, you know, interaction with them uh, myself. And so it was it was it really expanded me, but I didn't get a lot. Um, I didn't get a lot of exposure to direct different cultures, but it, it always seemed to be a cultural thing and not a racial thing to me. It's that mm-hmm. that, that race and racism has informed different cultures for sure and by segregating them or by causing different tensions between these different uh, cultures but basically essentially it comes down to the values that a group holds and like what do they find beautiful what do they find appropriate and so on that's how uh, that's how I interact or plug into other people culturally race has never been that big of a deal to me. But again, Robin D'Angelo would say it's because I'm white and I've been protected from ever having to think that way. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the case for most people in terms of like how you look at the world. Like race isn't really a thing. It's all about your values or, or similar interests. You know, like when we look at gamers, for instance, like we see gamers of all types like hang around together and it's because they're all gamers. They, they, there's a gaming culture. Um, when it comes to sports, it's this way. Mm-hmm. In most cases, people don't look at race as the first thing to consider someone as a friend or to be interested in their life. So, yeah, I think it's uh, pretty normal. But like you said, the, the Robin D'Angelo's of the world like to... Uh, make it as uh, specifically a, a white thing instead of a, a people thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really weird. It's worrying to me because it, I don't know how it's going to shake out, but it really is a regression with all these diversity you know, bureaucrats coming in and forcing everybody to go through this training. And if you look at like the, the basis of the training, at least with Robin D'Angelo and uh, Ibram Kendi, it, it's very, the, the assumption is, is that racism controls everything. It's a fiction and it's a reality at the same time. So it's based on crazy logic, but ultimately it's going to force us to erase all of our culture in order to fit in these really sterile conceptions of race to begin with. They're not artists. They don't really have like a great thing to, to show us about. Even when they reduce everybody to their race, it's not like these races are filled with life and their conception. It doesn't seem to me. 
Yeah, and that's spot on. I mean, you you see with the abolish the police police thing, like they think mm. they want to abolish Western culture and everything that encompasses it because they think that it's a um, a white male uh, thing <laughs> instead of like a, you know a collection of things. Because one thing I'm seeing in science, for instance, is this decolonization of science. Where yeah, and what they're about? doing is, I mean. Where do I start? So a part of it is they'll – it's all about um, erasing the the contributions of, of white scientists. And, and the way they do it is either, one, they'll focus on their personal life and poke something at their personal life that's very disagreeable. Like, say, for instance, Richard Feynman. He's a physicist, for those that don't know um, – he was known for being at Caltech. He was known for being a part of Manhattan Project. Um, and and uh, he did a lot of things in quantum electrodynamics. Like he's one of the best to ever live. And what he used to do during his time was he used to go to bars and, and uh, talk to women. He used to um, do things that today we would deem bad. But of course, when you're looking in hindsight or when you're looking, uh, you know, when you're looking, yeah, in hindsight at, at things versus uh, with foresight, like at the time, it, it wasn't a bad thing, which is like um, talking to graduate students and, and painting them. Uh, he, he painted, I think, a grad student uh, naked and um, he and it was with her consent and stuff like that. And she even came out to support him after many articles uh, by mm-hmm. feminists who tried to cancel him. But like, so they'll take him and they'll say he's not a reason to praise as a good scientist because of his personal life. Or what they would do is they'll revise history. And what's being done with that is like stuff with like how DNA was discovered, like with uh, with uh, Watson and um, yeah, what Watson and Crick and uh, what yeah. Rosalind Franklin, for instance. So what they're saying is that they crick stole all the stuff from franklin and you know she had everything and she took this photo and she wasn't awarded the nobel prize when one the nobel prize isn't given to people who died already and she died before it was given and then two she didn't take the photo uh photo 51 that a lot of people praise one of her graduate students did who's Mm. ironically a male and he didn't get um any Nobel Prize or or a citation for that other than the fact that, you know, people who cite it are, are, um, you know, is from the actual study. Like, he cited in the study, but he's not uh, cited as, like, one of the discoverers of of DNA. But people would ignore that because it's all about saying the white man is bad and women Mm -hmm. and uh, non-white people are the oppressed and and we have to erase everything that white men have have done and this is done like in mathematics this is done um in biology physics is done everywhere in stem and it's this decolonization move and it ties up into what you're saying um when it comes to uh erasing things or abolishing things because now we're seeing this with the police. They want to abolish the police and, and everything like that in, in places like where you ca- came from, with Chicago, which has a very high crime rate. And, you know, the police is needed there more than anything. Yet you have these people, usually from universities, usually from places that 
were never in these high crime areas. You know, like I have friends that have died uh, through gun violence. I have family members who have died in, through gun violence. That's the reason why I speak about black on black crime a lot because you know I've actually seen it and and experienced that. So the the people who are disregarding it, I really suspect that a lot of them aren't from these areas and and they have no connection hmm. to that like they they never really felt or seen what that has done behind the scenes so hmm. yeah it, it's just a horrible situation altogether and i think that abolishing stuff isn't going to solve the issues that diversity campaigns claim to want to solve why do you think – it might be an easy question, but the, the real question is the second question. So the first question is why do you think people are focusing on police violence, not black-on-black -black crime? And what do you think is uh, something that we can understand about black-on-black -black crime? Like how do, we, how do we conceive of that? Well, I think the, to the first question, I think – People are focusing on police violence because that's the easier thing to do. And because like there is one good argument from that side that um, police violence is uh, a little bit worse because it's government-backed um, violence. You know what I mean? And I understand that, that point of view. Um, however, police violence, no matter if it's uh, physical brutality or um, police shootings, are extremely rare extremely rare when you when you look at the 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 figures on this and when it comes to police shootings there's no racial element that's um attributed to it by economic standards i mean like i think uh roland fryer did a study i'm not sure if it was in 2017 but he updated it in 2019 and although he did find some racial disparities when it came to uh police uh, brutality and, and people saying that they've experienced um, police brutality um, largely from uh, black and uh, Hispanic people. Know, yeah. yeah um, but when it came to police shootings, there was no connection when it came to race. Like there was no difference in how that was. So, but, but that's often ignored because of the narrative that police are out here executing because you you'll hear that police are executing black men by you know these um black lives matter members and that's just not true and by the way i went to some of those protests just to see how it was and and just to get my own opinion of it and a lot of the rhetoric is that police are executing people and police are just killing people every single day when you know there's not even 360 police shootings of, of black people in a year. So it, they're, I, I think it's just the easier thing to do to blame the police, you know, and, and it takes away um, the other thing, which is self accountability. Like it's harder to look upon oneself or to look at what the community is doing itself, such as not solving crimes. Like in the black community, I think crimes go unsolved the most because of the non snitching culture. Like everyone knows that, um, it's very hard to find black people who will um, testify, uh, yeah, testify, and, and 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 those things because of the whole non-stitching culture. Even though the non-stitching culture are for people who are in that life, you know, or, or in the streets, it's not for regular everyday citizens. It's only if you're, you know, doing bad. But um, that's again, 
it's easier to to point to the government or to point to systems instead of pointing to people who are are doing these things within these communities. Uh, what was the other part of your question? Well, how do you think that from the outside we could conceive of what this issue is? What is the actual issue, if if you understand it, uh, or insofar as oh. you understand it, what is the issue, and and what do you think are some of the ways that it will or might be resolved? Well, I think two things could be right at the same time. You know, we could say that police brutality is an issue while saying that black on black crime is an issue. The reason why I talk about black on black crime a little more for two reasons, and that's one, because it happens a lot more. And two, because when you bring it up, people evade it or ignore it. Hmm. And when it's evaded or ignored in the face of like trying to have a discussion, then you you never get to what the actual issue is. So, but where, whereas like with police brutality, at least we're talking about ways that we can change that, you know, um, except there's a one way that could really lower the amount of police brutality incident, incidents, and that's to not commit crimes. But again, that's built on the premise that you're taking self-accountability and mm. people don't want to take um, accountability uh, for themselves. So, um, mm. Yeah, I just think that, you know, we have to keep in mind that, you know, more than one thing can be right at the same time. And at the same and also we, we must try to come to the most accurate truth that we can come to on, mm. on these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, what you were saying about um, decolonizing science or STEM or whatever, mm-hmm. it seems there is there's a nugget of truth that goes around kind of the topic of representation. They, they seem to be wanting to have more representation of females and what they call people of color. Mm-hmm. How, do you see the need for that in your own life, seeing yourself as a scientist? Did you need uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson there? Was that very important for you to have that person there for you to see yourself in that role? Not at all. Not at all. I was never taught to look to to see myself in something before um, I could be that. I, I was told that I could be anything I wanted to be by my parents, um, regardless of what skin color represents me. And I think that's a, a bigger issue. And that's a great question, because how many parents are teaching children that they have to look for representation in order to feel good about um, becoming something, you know, like who was Barack Obama's representation to mm. become president? Who was uh, Booker T's Booker T Washington's representation to open up thousands of schools? Um, you know, th- there are tons of people throughout history that didn't have representation, and all you need is one example in order to know that it's possible. And I just think that the narrative that's very, very popular in STEM—that representation means everything that's the that's a horrible thing i I, like there was one person in stem um, i think she's a microbiologist we were talking and she like was really troubled by the fact that i didn't see representation as being um important and i said well imagine if i taught you that going into every room those that didn't have the same shoes as you are aggressing you and and it should make you insecure and and you shouldn't feel right you know, just because you, you didn't have the same shoes as someone in, in another room, like you would you would tell me that I'm crazy for teaching you that. So why is it 
not crazy to teach that we have to look for representation of race or gender, sex, whatever, in order to achieve something great. Like merit should be enough. You should be what should be taught is like as long as you reach the standards that everyone else is reaching, that that's enough in order to to get by. But um, you know, that's not being taught. It's, everything is about identity. Hmm. Have you felt condescended to by your professors, like because of your identity, that you need uh, something, or they they hold you to the same standard as everybody else? If anything, I felt that they coddled me a little bit. Like there's some who are like, oh, you know, I know that there's so much racism around, and I need to help you more than any other. Uh, person, you know, and and I'm like, oh no, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. necessarily agree with that. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm I'm fine. I'm, uh, trust me, I'm fine. And then they're like, oh, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. So th- there's been that. There's been a coddling that's been going on. Um, yeah. But when it comes to aggressing me because I'm of a certain race, no, I never had that experience in, in mm-hmm. academia. You seem so chill. I want to ask you maybe a personal question, so you don't have to answer this, but what really pisses you off? What really grinds your gears? You seem so chill. I I wonder, what's your trigger? <laughs> um, I guess in the Twitter sphere, just specifically in the Twitter sphere. What? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of those. I, I do have a lot of those. Um, I, I just, maybe I, I don't show it nearly as much, but let me see. I don't think you should, but I just... I just yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What's the hot button issue? What's something that gets you hot under the collar? I mean, the, the usual... Uh, I, I just... Maybe people who are very um, hypocritical, you know, like like people, for instance, that say, oh, you know, black voices matter, because you'll hear this throughout academia, black voices matter. Like, we need to uplift black voices, and we need to hear stories of, of black voices more and everything. And then when there's a black voice that they don't agree with, then they play this game of either blackballing you of, of different mm-hmm. opportunities. So, like, th- there are scientists, for instance, that have... Um, they know people at certain magazines. They know people at certain conferences, and they'll warn these people of you before you were to get these opportunities, and it'll prevent you from getting opportunities, or it'll prevent you from building relationships with certain people. I even had one time um, someone that was a part of a, I think he was a part of a physics program. I'm not 100% sure, and I'm not. I haven't been putting in for graduate school. Um, applications yet but he said to me because I disagree with him on um, I think it was a feminist issue or something he said to me I'm going to warn my advisors to not consider your application when it does come in for our university and and things and I'm going to tell them that they should watch out uh, for you uh, when it comes to being around women because you can't be trusted around women based off disagreeing with him on Twitter Hmm. so you know, th- there are those types in, in academia, and I really, really can't stand it because a part of it is because, in my experiences, most of it has come from people who weren't um, black or, or weren't like uh, considered people of color. Um, the, the my I think my biggest uh, opponents have been non-black people non-hispanic or anything like mostly i would say 
white women in STEM. They they're a, another hmm. set of people um, who are very very uh, condescending and divisive when it comes to um, that, and th- they they have that mean girls culture within STEM. So hmm. they'll. Um, They'll do this to other women too, by the way, like other women who would come in and they'll question whether or not what they're saying is true and then they'll cancel them. And then those women will come to me and was like, oh, I've heard so much about you and now I get it to why you were against what they're against. I've had tons of women come to me tell me about that and men too but mostly women who will come to me and say like it's horrible like i i even have screenshots of of them talking about you and and uh, different academic groups and um doing this or doing that or, or planning to blackball you of this opportunity and um mm-hmm. yeah i think that's what grinds my gears the most i, mm-hmm. I don't talk about that nearly as much on um on Twitter, but I do talk yeah. about it a lot, a lot on Instagram because I have a lot more of a following of uh, people within the science community on uh, Instagram. It's very telling that these uh, this this ideology or this way of thinking it's all about protecting the vulnerable mm-hmm. and the most vulnerable. I mean, this is a cliche, but it's so true. The most vulnerable group is the individual, and that's the one who gets the brunt of the blowback for thinking differently, for asking the wrong questions, for disagreeing, you'll get hounded out if you don't follow this. And and the other thing about this ideology or this way of thinking is that it really does bring out the worst or protects the worst in people. It either brings yeah. it out or allows it to happen. And it's just, it's really upsetting in a way. Yeah, that, yeah it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. Uh, I'm going to turn on my light real quick so it's not okay. as dark. I'm sorry. That's right. Sorry about that. No problem. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I think individualism is definitely a. Um, it's like a lost virtue in a way, you know. I, I wish that people value the individual more than the collective, but it seems like the co- collectivism is like the new punk or something. Like it's like the trendy <laughs> thing now. <laughs> It just it feels so claustrophobic, and maybe this is another uh, kind of uh, pattern that I've seen with you, and like what makes you kind of invulnerable to getting swept up into this is that you did a lot of reading. That's something you said. A lot of other people who are against this stuff have actually done a lot of reading. Uh, it doesn't seem like you did a lot of fiction reading. I don't know, but you did a lot of reading. You, you've explored a lot of different people's minds. And I think that that is one, it might be possibly one thing that's contributing to this is kind of like the lost uh, kind of reading culture in a way. Yeah, definitely. It, it, what we see, for instance, with White Fragility, which is a book I'm almost done with. Um, oh, good for that, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually you know, trying my best to get through that book. Um, and it's entertaining and interesting for reasons the author didn't intend. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try to read it, this because like, I think it's important to understand where the arguments are. Because one of the most annoying things I see is when people talk past one another. So like a good example of that is uh, like the opponents of Black Lives Matter would say something like, all lives matter. But that's like talking past them because yeah. they're not saying only Black Lives Matter. They're saying Black Lives Matter too. And even though they're wrong about their premise and their conclusions, um, you know, you're still talking past them whenever you say all lives matter. So in the same way, people do the same when it comes to 
white fragility or these uh, critical race theory concepts. And, and you have to read their material in order to understand their arguments and then to properly attack their arguments where they are. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that most people aren't really doing that on both sides, but yeah. especially not from the, you know, the intersectionality side. They're they're not reading any material whatsoever from mm. the other side. Like all these reading book lists of uh, of uh, things for to to understand Black experiences. Like there's no Thomas Sowell. There's no mm. Walter Williams. There's no Booker T. Washington. Or, or any other black uh, intellectual that told you to um, worry about yourself, improve yourself, and then you could worry about um, everything else and through political means. Hmm. What's the tidbit from D'Angelo that, that, that really particularly popped out for you? Um, I, I think most of all, it was just the usual... Um, well, I would say it's basically what is getting her uh, canceled now is the the idea that there's a lot of um, white people who are so uh, fragile or whatever that they're um, promoting themselves up to be like, you know, the savior in a way. And they're not allowing other black people to, to have a voice. And it's funny because in a way, like she's doing that. So like, it's okay for her to do that, but it's not okay for others to do that. Like, you know, and then she's profiting and someone brought up a really good point. Like, I wonder where all these profits are going, you know, considering the fact that her book is like number one seller, like these last few months or something. So, um, Hmm. yeah, I think, I think that just the whole paradox behind like her Hmm. ideas and how they, they're not really sound and, and none of the arguments and, and I wouldn't say none of the arguments but most of the arguments in our books aren't really sound at all logically yeah. is there a group that you know of within your domain of STEM or physics that other people in your position uh, not your identity but your position they're just they want to do science they're confronted with all this identity politic etc stuff is are there groups uh that are formed like support groups or just free thinking groups uh that you recommend them to look for or reach out for not that i know of i mean uh well other well actually yeah there's the heterodox academy which is basically a like it's a group of intellectuals that are both um undergrad students now and grad students and you know people postdoc and all that other stuff that um, vary among the political spectrum. Uh, it was started by Jonathan Haidt and someone else, I think. So I, I would say look to that because a lot of those people are open to discussing things and things of that nature. When it comes to like my university or just online itself, um, I, I haven't found any mm-hmm. groups outside of the Heterodox Academy that's been really good. Um, with that, I, I, I have thought about starting something like that because there are, like I said, a lot of women that will come to me and be like, hey, mm. like we we might disagree on a couple of things. But one thing I agree on is like we need to have a discussion about these things. And there are people within 
STEM community that don't want to have a discussion. You know, they deem me as racist because I'm white or they deem me as having internalized racism because I'm black. And I, I want to have these discussions more, but I have nowhere to go with it. And I'm afraid I will lose my opportunity because my advisor is uh, heavily oh, influenced by this or or, you know, whatever the, the person over me is heavily influenced by this. So I, I can't speak out about it, but I do want a group to where we could talk about this openly so that they have expressed support for if I did start it, that they would become a part of it. So maybe in the future I, I would um, start something like that. Do you have a fancy name for it yet? Not yet. I'm not, I'm not that creative. I'm not that creative. <laughs> do, do you have any suggestions? <laughs> I would have to think about that. We could, we could do like a Twitter war and come up with some yeah. names or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something better than uh, intellectual dark web for sure, though. <laughs> something much better than that because that that was like uh, a lazy effort. I, th- I felt like so. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm on board with you there. That was like, as soon as it was named, it was over. Like yeah, that, yeah, and then, then the photo you... shoot really put it in a coffin. I mean that that was just uh, <laughs> my goodness. Like they could have they could have did a lot better than that. <laughs> Well, awesome. Um, any advice? I, I really, I think that the common value that we both share is like you take responsibility for yourself. You build up your own skills, and then you, and then you worry about the things, the, all the social stuff secondarily. But um, do you have any other tips or tricks that that have guided you in your experience in the academy and and towards mastery of of the physical universe? <laughs> I would just say the um to speak up more i think more people do need to speak up regardless of your race i understand how it could be hard i understand that you know at at jobs and and everything like they might consider your social media to be um problematic and and all this other stuff so i understand how some people can't but I, i really think that it's important to at least try to speak up about some of this and have conversations without being divisive uh, I think people from all sides need to learn about what they disagree about more than they actually do. You know, it's it's more than a tweet. You know, critical race theory is a whole concept that has uh, origins in Marxism and this whole idea of uh, the oppressor and the oppressed narrative. Um, same with Black Lives Matter and stuff. Like, I just think people need to be less naive and read more into the things that they oppose. And um, lastly, I would say that, um, you know, when it comes to policy, especially when it comes to things uh, relating to science, I think things need to be evidence based. But um, experts should always be on tap, not on top. What I mean by that is Hmm. just because someone is an expert, it doesn't mean that they you, you should blindly follow them and believe everything that they believe on this issue. Their expertise is of a specific field of a very specific thing in their field. You know, like, for, for instance, with me, I, I want to become a theoretical physicist and there's going to be a specific part of theoretical physics that I'm a part of. So I'll have expertise in that part and might not have expertise on all of physics in general you know um in the same way we need to look at that when it comes to no matter if it's a um with dr fossey or or whatnot or when it comes to 
uh, Michael Mann, the climate scientist, we need to understand that they have expertise in a certain part, but that doesn't mean to just b- blindly believe everyone. And, um, you know, hmm. lastly, critical thinking is the most important thing here. Like, that's one thing I think everyone could learn. You don't have to learn science to know how to think critically better, but science can empower you to um, think more critically and to arrive at better conclusions. What made you uh, choose science then? Ah, uh, um, what so you? I've always, path? I've always been into science. Uh, my mom was really into biology. She used to take me to the science observatory probably like once a month when I was little. So like it started early. I didn't look at it as a career until about. Um, I would say about four years ago or so, because um, I'm, I'm 29. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, it was about four years ago. And I, I was just working regular odd jobs. And I woke up to a documentary. And it was about a physicist that um, was inspired to get into physics because his father had died of a heart attack. And he wanted to go back in time to prevent his father from getting that heart attack by warning him and he found out that einstein's uh, relativity allows for time travel which it does by the way um so he um dedicated his life to learning physics so he could possibly ha- build the foundations to you know making a time travel machine one day or something <laughs> so i was i was really inspired by that story because i love time travel i love sci-fi so uh Huh. I didn't know that relativity allowed for such uh, a wide range of things to be possible. So I, I delved deep into it from there then on. And um, yeah, I haven't looked back ever since. What, what do you think is a more likely uh, apocalyptic scenario? A uh, robot uprising or a tear in the space-time continuum from some uppity physicist trying to design a time travel machine? <laughs> That's a good question. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, f- physicists are uh, a weird bunch uh, <laughs> yeah um i'm gonna go with the robot robot uprising, uprising. Def- right. definitely with with ai it's a mm. it's a messy scenario i definitely want to do some research in, in ai uh, i think you know a lot more theory is needed in, in that but um yeah, an AI uprising is definitely yeah. closer to happening and, and more plausible than uh, pesky physicists messing up <laughs> everything that we know. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for joining me, Eric. This is great to yeah. speak with you, bring you out of the Twitter sphere and into the podcast realm. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, because uh, your your podcast room is really uh, interesting. Like you know, just looking at it from afar and, and looking at all the stories and, and hearing people, it's it's always interesting. So, yeah, I hope to be back one day. It would be absolutely. good talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, keep right. you in mind. I'll set everybody up with uh, your official Twitter handle is Eric's Electrons. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. That's my um, and your handle Instagram everywhere. So we can see mm-hmm. your abs. Is that Eric's electrons? <laughs> no abs. No abs. No abs. No. Nah, but, <laughs> no. Actually, I think there's one, maybe. But um, but yeah, I think Eric's electrons is my thing across multiple platforms, and I even have a YouTube channel, but I don't oh. really post much there. I, I 
every now and then I'll do a video. It's because I suck at video editing. Like I'm really bad at it. It's it's too time consuming for me. I might have someone else do it um, in the future, but I, I definitely want to get more into YouTube stuff in the future. Yeah, you should. People uh, people need uh, cool scientists telling them how to think critically, whatever that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I agree. I agree. Instead of telling them what to think, like a lot yeah. of these, uh, you know, other scientists like to do. Ideologues. Yeah. yeah, especially the Michael Manns. Oh, by, did I tell you I'm blocked by uh, Michael Mann? Who's Michael Mann? Is that that's not the uh, film director? Um, he's a climate scientist. Maybe he's made a film too. I don't think so though. Michael but Moore. He's a, he, oh no, yeah. no 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 not Michael Moore. Yeah Michael no, Mann. Okay. Uh, Michael Mann. Yeah, he's a climate scientist. Um, he's basically known for like the hockey stick graph and and all the other stuff. Okay. Uh, his his work is really legit. He's a good climate scientist, but he's very influenced by identity politics. And uh, uh, I, I asked him one time, like, what does it matter that a panel have like black people or, or women on it? Because he was complaining about that, and he just blocked me <laughs> out of nowhere. So yeah, he, it's um, yeah, I think science needs more of a, a, a tolerant yeah um, voices and within the science fear yeah uh, yeah thin-skinned scientists who would have thought oh yeah and then i would i would argue that most of them are that way outside of their discipline like they're incredibly thin-skinned about every little issue and it's uh i'm, I'm trying to get it to where i could get them together on the mm. podcast and then let them know my views and and see from a different perspective of why it isn't you know uh, yeah, white supremacy to to think this or, or how that I arrived there, you know, because a lot of them they don't have these type of conversations ever. They just see what they see on Twitter and yeah. then retweet. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, the the a lot of this stuff, uh, this identity politics stuff, really loses its power when you have to see somebody as a human being and and through time, right? Instead of through these little tiny windows that we've reduced each other into. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right, Eric. Well, you have a good afternoon. I'll let you know when this is up, man. All right. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, you have a good afternoon, too. All right, dude. Ciao. All right. Bye. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.